Hey, you're welcome to Halfway Decent, a Halfway Decent podcast about art history. I am Mike. And I'm Sarah. And we are coming to you again so soon. Maybe. Depends when I edit and release this, but maybe Soon-ish. it's soon. Maybe it's within a month. Probably. Probably at least a month and a half of our last episode, so cheers I mean, to us. we're doing better. We're doing something. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Hope everyone out there in... Uh, podcast land is doing well and staying safe and washing their hands and all that stuff Mm -hmm. um well sarah what do we got this week well would you like to learn a little bit about dominicos theodicopolis is i'm not gonna guess what that is because i a, fear embarrassment, and B, fear inappropriateness. So I'm going to allow you to explain to me what the heck those are. That's a person's name. He's an Is artist. It really? What kind of origin does that name Latin. sound like it has? Can you say it again? Dominikos Theodokopoulos. Greek. Yeah. Nailed it. Nailed it. Yeah, the artist we're going to talk about this week is... El Greco. Oh, yeah, sure. That's a... Do you know what that translates to, Michael? The Greek? Yeah. Boom. Do you know what language that translates to the Greek in? Spanish? Yeah. (laughs) So he was from Greece, famous in Spain. See, what am I even doing? You You can just do this podcast. What else do you know about El Greco? Well, that's been another episode of Halfway Decent. <laughs> Join us again how next about, week when I... How about we maybe learn a little bit more? Sure. Okay. Well, El Greco, as I'm going to call him from now on because his first and last name are roughly 10,000 syllables. Yeah, I mean, we could have a 45-minute podcast <laughs> if he's just reading his name. It's but... going to be Johan Gamble Buddy. <laughs> Jeez. There's Sorry. a reference for four people. <laughs> None of whom listen to our podcast. Correct. Okay. Anyway, El Greco was born in Crete in 1541. Okay. Okay. Um, so he was trained as an icon painter. So icons, well, Michael, do you know what an icon is? Is Are you talking about like a catholic is like a religious symbol mm-hmm, mm-hmm. okay yeah so they would be sacred images represent saints or christ or the virgin scenes from uh jesus's life like his baptism or crucifixion um and he was trained in the byzantine style so we haven't really talked about byzantine art before um but it is <laughs> an art style that was kind of in vogue for a very long time from 400 AD until about the 1500s so over a thousand years of this style I mean there are like sort of periods within the style like late and whatever but um teens young adulthood get out so in the Byzantine style, um, it's almost strictly religious iconography. Um, they use a lot of rich colors 
and um, you can identify Byzantine art. Well, first of all, it, it not that he used it, but Byzantine art in general um, is a lot of mosaics, and the figures in most of the art um, have sort of elongated features. They look very tall and thin. Um, a lot of times the nose and the neck are kind of longer than normal. Um, so those are just kind of a couple of hallmarks of Byzantine style. Gotcha. So this is this is his background. Um, so he moved to Venice in 1567. So he's like 25, 26-ish. Um, and he went there to master the elements of Renaissance painting. So he was learning things like perspective and narrative staging. So is it like... so? kind of transitioning out of the Byzantine is the Renaissance the next art period after the Byzantine so because the Byzantine period spans that long there are like other art styles happening at the same time so it's not necessary it's not like overlapping yeah there's some overlap so um yeah so the Italian Renaissance was happening while in other areas the Byzantine style was still popular. Gotcha. So, okay, so he moved um, to Venice, um, and then he moved to Rome a few years later, um, and he scored a room in the palace of a guy named uh, Giulio Clovio, um, and he was the most influential and wealthy patron in Rome. So he somehow got a room staying at this guy's house, and he's this art patron. So um, while he was there, he set up a painter's academy, had a couple of assistants, um, but he'd been there for six years and hadn't really received any major commissions. So he's like making a little bit of money on like portraits and little devotional paintings, but nothing major. Um, and something that really hurt him while he was in Italy was um, that he criticized the art of Michelangelo, which Michelangelo died in 1564, so a little bit before he came to Italy. But the people of Rome still loved Michelangelo. That's <laughs> kind of like mocking Michael Jordan while he was playing basketball and the end of his career. So. Well, I mean, it's worse than that because El Greco um, asked, um, I don't, I don't know who he was asking, but um, was basically begging them to let him repaint the Sistine Chapel because he could do it so much better. So it's like a little bit worse than just like dissing on Jordan. It's like, erase that guy. Let me play for the Bulls. Bro. Know your role, man. So, yeah. So... That didn't win him a lot of fans. Weird. Um, so he moved to Spain in fi- in fifteen seventy six. That was me trying to say fifteen and seventy at the same time. Fizzenty sixty two. <laughs> Perfect. Everybody uh, understood. <laughs> so he first moved to Madrid and then he really settled in Toledo. Toledo. And um lived out the rest of his life there in Toledo. He found a circle of intelligent friends and patrons while there. Gotcha. So 
But is now a good time to plug our Patreon? No, I'm just kidding. Oh. <laughs> You looked like you had something to say. Should no. have known it was a stupid joke. Yep. Okay, so a guy named Diego Castilla commissioned three altar pieces, um, and also our first piece of art that we're gonna look like, look at. Um, it's called the Espolio or the Disrobing of Christ. Um, so this was commissioned um, for the sacristy of the cathedral, which is where um, the priests and the people helping with the service get dressed into their robes. So, so it's like the green room. <laughs> sort of, but... Church green room. It's interesting that it's this painting, the or this subject, the disrobing of Christ used for the place where mm. they put on and take off the robes for the service. Very tongue-in-cheek. Well, was it intentional, do you think? I'm or? sure. Okay. Yeah. Um, so in this piece, um, you really see where he found his artistic voice. Um, so it shows Christ being stripped of his garments before crucifixion. And in the foreground, um, you can see there's a man gouging holes in the wood of the cross to prepare for the nails that'll be driven through Christ's hands and feet. Um, and, um, it's... It's an uncommon theme for Western art, um, the disrobing of Christ. It's not something that you see a whole lot, but it's fairly familiar to Byzantine art. So El Greco is kind of showing his roots through this piece. And um, there's a figure next to Christ wearing armor. And um, that guy has been identified by scholars as being somehow both Herod and Pontius Pilate at the same time. So I don't know how they came to this determination, but that's what I read, hmm. is that he's both of those people. I thought you were going to say determined to be Harry. I was like, yeah, how could you tell under all that armor? But <laughs> Herod makes more sense. Um, so I, is it just because he's in our... I'm sorry, did you have something to say to my stupid joke? No. Okay, wanna... great. <laughs> don't want to acknowledge that? Correct. Uh, so is it just because he's wearing armor, so he's kind of in charge? Is that why they think that's what it's supposed to represent? I just said I don't know. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. That's that part. <laughs> it's fine. I, I was too busy talking about my joke. <laughs> You're just prepping that good hairy joke. Interesting. Um, so there are two figures that are grabbing at his robes, um, and that is supposed to kind of foreshadow the casting of lots um, for when Jesus is hung on the tree and, and the soldiers are wagering for his clothing sure um and so what it does is it acts to sort of compress the narrative into one image um even though it's kind of a snapshot um having some of that like foreshadowing stuff that's going on with the poking of the the nails you know making the the holes for the nails and um the the grabbing of the robes kind of makes it so that you can kind of see what's coming um, in the future of the story. Hmm. Um, so the red in the center that Jesus is wearing um, symbolizes not only Christ's blood that he shed, but also you can see that it makes him just pop out from yeah. the rest of the figures that are kind of dark. Well, um, it, it, there's color in the rest of it, but it seems like that is such a more vibrant color than the rest of them. It's right. really interesting. 
Yeah, so there's kind of a quote in um, graphic design. I don't, I don't know who said it, and I couldn't really um, identify who uh, who said it. But there's like a a saying that they say, at least in graphic design school, that if you can't make it good, make it big. If you can't make it big, make it red. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> so uh, I think he kind of incorporates. <laughs> Yeah. Both of those, like Jesus is real big in it and also red. In red. Yeah. So I thought it was pretty good. Um, so you kind of get the sense that the picture is trying to burst out of the frame. It's very like claustrophobic yeah. and um, there's no space except for at the very front. And that kind of causes some sort of dramatic tension. Yeah. Um, the painting was completed in 1579. And so what happened back then is that an artist and patron, so a patron would commission a piece. They would say, we want this piece for the vestiary. Uh, We want it to be the disrobing of Christ. I don't know exactly how these conversations went, but so then the artist would go away, paint it and bring it. So then in order to get paid, what would happen is the artist and the patron would both bring in an appraiser to assess the value of the piece. And so if the two parties couldn't agree on a price, then they would bring in an arbitrator to, you know, come with the the final decision. So going in, they had no idea what they were going to get paid for this piece of art. Right. It was kind of a gamble for an artist to take on a project because they wouldn't know exactly how much they were going to get paid for it. Not even an estimate. So for this piece... El Greco's appraisers valued the piece at 900 ducats, and the cathedral's appraisers came in at 228. So then there was a two-year legal battle, um, and the final result was that El Greco received 317 ducats for his work. They should just, like, carry your, you get two appraisers, and we're just going to give you right down the middle, whatever they say. Right? Average them? Like, yeah. something. That meant not only did he not get paid what he was probably worth. Yeah. Um, but it also meant that he hurt his relationship with his first major patron. So, obviously, like, if you, sue, lose, lose. If you sue someone, they're not going to want to work with you again. I've sued some of my best friends multiple times. <laughs> Shut up. No, you haven't. No, I haven't. Okay. So, um, so... Uh, this is kind of a, I mean, it's, it's a beautiful piece, Yeah. but it, when you know the backstory, it's a little bit of a bummer because he didn't get what he should have probably for it. Yeah. And it meant future work out down the drain. Yeah. So one of his most celebrated commissions, uh, was, um, by a parish priest of Santo Tome. Um, and the painting is called The Burial of Count Orgaz. Yep, O-R-G-A-Z. <laughs> oh, Michael, do you I have see. any do you have any comments about not on this show? The name of this painting? Not on this show. I want you to see in my notes I put pause for jokes. <laughs> Well, Sarah, uh-huh. joke's on you because I'm not going to make any. <laughs> okay, so this was painted in 1586. Um, 
that the right one? Sorry, I'm looking these up. No, uh, that's only half of it. Oh. You need to get one with both halves. There's two, oh, like this. Here, I got it. There you go. Okay. Um, so this piece honors a long dead benefactor, Count Orgaz, who died in 1323, so like 250 years before. Um, and at his funeral, there was supposedly this miracle that happened that St. Stephen and St. Augustine miraculously appeared to assist in his burial. Um, so this, this painting depicts that miracle. So, um, it is St. Stephen on the left and Augustine on the right, um, that are actually putting his, lowering his body into the ground. Um, so it shows that miracle, but it also shows the Count's soul being received into paradise. So, um, you can see that the painting is kind of divided into, the earthly and then yeah. the heavenly um and if if our f- listeners are googling along at home they'll, they'll be able to see this looking at our instagram which or i forgot to our instagram yes last time halfway at docent.com no halfway docent.com like that's we have a, a website thing. that's not it no at halfway docent correct instagram yes okay so there's sort of a yellow piece of fabric that comes down and you can see there's an angel's wing is kind of parallel to that yellow piece of fabric. Um, And it's kind of smallish, but um, in the angel's hands, there's like this weird white figure that's supposed to be Count Orgaz's soul being led into heaven. That's interesting. Yeah. So um, in at the bottom um, in the front on the left, um, this little figure is actually no not the hooded one this little little guy uh is actually el greco's son um and i don't know if that was just a well-known thing that like oh yeah that's his son but the reason we know it is that his little handkerchief right there has his little signature on it oh that's cute yeah um and so he points to the miracle um which as his him looking out to the viewer it's not only saying like look at this miracle but it's also kind of saying like look at this miracle that my dad painted so it's kind of like praising the artist at the same time of like look at what god did very sneaky yeah um so then we move to the the upper portion um you see it's kind of an interesting perspective um so this is um on the left is mary on the right is john the baptist and then actually pretty small in compared to the rest of the figures in the painting jesus is there at the top kind Mm -hmm. of completing that little triangle um above mary's shoulder you can see um is saint peter he's holding the keys to heaven ah yep that makes sense Um, So they are surrounded by apostles and martyrs and biblical figures. I guess Noah, Moses, and David are there somewhere, but I don't know which one's there. Also, just like a multitude over here on the right side above uh, John the Baptist. Right. The martyrs and the apostles Uh, and other religious figures. 
Um, the weird, the weird figure in there, which I don't, again, I don't know which one he is, um, but um, one of the figures in there was Philip II of Spain, but he was still alive at the time. So it was kind of to show like how righteous Philip was and that he's united with Christ in this. Hey, we should just really so keep it's like religion kind of, and politics yeah, out of each other. Yeah, isn't that interesting? Like even back then, yeah. there's kind of a weird political bend to it. This painting. Oh, and also, um, I forgot to put it in my notes, but um, so there's the two saints in the front that are in kind of gold. Yep. Um, and then they there's a guy with his head kind of cocked to the side. Mm-hmm. And then just to the left of him is El Greco himself. So he's kind of Very got a little Greco. bit lighter, lighter uh, face yeah. there. But yeah. So um, this piece, once again, um, there was a legal dispute over the valuation. Jeez. Um, and I'm sure he probably, I don't have the actual figures of what he got paid or like the difference or whatever but the church did agree to pay him and part of um the way they paid him was by settling some of his debts that's nice yeah so at least um this piece got him some financial gain yeah fun fact uh when i first started looking at this picture i thought mary and john the baptist were riding some kind of mythical creature it does kind of look like that yeah it's just clouds sure that makes more sense yeah i mean i guess when you think about it clouds are kind of mythical creatures are they creatures it's a water vapor agree to disagree yeah sure but you know there are there are some kind of cool elements like i said that the yellow piece of fabric that kind of wraps around the angel um kind of dips down to kind of join the yellow gold robes of the saints up to heaven um and then there are a couple different people uh carrying torches and those kind of point upward to heaven you know fire and flame is yeah is kind of a symbol so do you think there well you may not know it's fine but the significance of like peter is in yellow and there's someone over on the right side in yellow and that kind of like it's almost like the yellow fabric is just intertwi- intertwingled <laughs> that's not a word no <laughs> intertwined yeah i mean that mingled intertwined intertwingled intertwingled um sure he intertwingled yellow a lot um that was kind of his thing um yeah i don't know if it had any any kind of particular Hmm. any kind of significance significance other than just a way to kind of pull everything together so i know we we talked about someone for the life of me cannot remember it's been like six years since we talked about it but the guy who did the the ghent altarpiece Mm -hmm. so were these just like frames or were they on something or Um, do you have any idea how they were displayed this one was i'm not sure i know he did a lot of um altarpieces and he actually had some sculptural elements and stuff too um but we're not going to talk about any of those um i'm not exactly sure how this one i just know this was part of 
an altarpiece yeah. or anything. I, just I guess I should know that, but that uh, religious art tends to not always be just like standard frames and right can be a little more yeah a little I mean, more different a little little more different indeed um i mean it was it was painted for the church yeah so oh there's a picture of it framed oh look at that in the cathedral oh uh, yeah so it is kind of in like a little window area not window arched yeah what is that called uh inset in the wall nook cranny <laughs> such yeah, I think the technical term is a cranny. <laughs> just crammed them in a cranny. All the nooks and crannies. <laughs> Hungry for breakfast. Weird. Okay, so then the last one we're going to look at um, goes by two different names. It's either the Vision of St. John or probably what you'll find it in as um, the opening of the Fifth Seal. And he worked on this from 1608 to 1614. Is it this one? Yeah, but you'll Oh, it is. I, so, little peek behind the kimono. Uh, there is a picture in the Google that I thought was just like some kid had drawn. But it is just a zoomed in photo of the one we're looking at. So, neat. So this was made for a side altar in the ch chapel of a hospital um, of St. John the Baptist. And um, so it's based on a scene from the book of Revelation where the souls of persecuted martyrs are asking for justice upon their persecutors on earth. So um, it's showing an angel distributing the white robes um, for the martyrs. So um, there are, <laughs> it's a bunch of uh, naked souls um, and they are, you can see a lot of emotion in them as they receive their robes. Yeah. Um, so in 1880, there was a fire and um, this painting kind of got destroyed in it. Um, in the restoration, they ended up trimming off 175 centimeters. So there was an, an upper portion to the painting, um, but now St. John is the big figure in the front um, and it looks like he's just pointing to nothing. But there was more to it. Is there any record of what was there? Oh. Yeah, so they don't really know um, yeah. because of what the piece was. Um, I mean, I guess the title of it. Um, they think that maybe the upper portion was the sacrificial lamb opening the fifth seal. Mm. Um, or I saw somewhere, somewhere else um, someone suggested it might have been um, the throne. But most... Most of the research that I did, most of them have said that they think it's the sacrificial lamb. But, so, like I said, that's um, St. John in foreground. And this painting really shows, I mean, this was towards the end of his life, um, but it really shows El Greco's style. Um, his pieces are usually pretty easy to point out. 
you can see, especially in the folds of the fabric, there's a lot of contrast. The highlights are almost always, they almost go all the way to white. Um, and the shadows are really dark. So it looks almost shiny in a way. Yeah. Um, and even on the figures, the highlights are very extreme. And they are almost, they're almost like outlined. Um, they're so shadowy at the back. Well, it looks too, or what I've noticed about his stuff is that they, all of the ones we've looked at at least, have mm -hmm. been pretty dark mm -hmm. with large, like contrasting bright colors somewhere within. Yeah. So you had the, you know, the one before the burial of Count Orgaz. Yes, that one. Uh, I didn't want to say it. Um, you had like it's probably now that I think about it, Spanish. So it's probably orgaz. I don't know if that makes it better. Go on. Uh, but you had like all that dark, and even like the the yellow on the pre uh, the two saints outfits were almost like a subdued yellow, but then you had that bright yellow fabric in the center mm -hmm. that like stood out way above everything else. And yeah. so in like this one, there's a lot of darkness and stuff, but then the robes, mm -hmm. you know, your joyful robes you get uh, are all real vibrant, and especially the yellow, like you said, you like to use yellow. Well, so um, it's kind of interesting because so on the right there, you can see the cherub who's actually handing out the robes. The robes yeah. are white. So I don't know exactly what the green and yellow fabric mm. is supposed to be, um, if there was symbolism for it. Um, I couldn't yeah. really find it in my research. You can see that the figures themselves kind of retain some of that Byzantine influence. You see that, like, St. John is the longest yeah. figure ever his hands his <laughs> neck his whole body is looks very like very high, long looks like a high schooler drew him a what a high schooler <laughs> what <laughs> never mind it's fine it's what i was saying before uh i also oh, a high schooler drew him yes I didn't get that part. I thought you just said St. John looks like a high schooler. <laughs> like, because he's tall and gangly? What are you I mean, saying? <laughs> he does a little bit look like a high schooler. I mean, too. he looks the young. Face looks sure, young. sure. Uh, I also noticed that he's bad at drawing facial expressions because, like, the body language of the people getting their robes seem excited, but all their faces just say, I'm in heaven. <laughs> Well, Michael, considering what kind of style he was coming from. Yeah, that's fair. These are, well, and especially um, sort of the expressiveness of the way it's painted yeah. um, was kind of, to use a term that I hate to use every single podcast, but it was kind of ahead of his time. Yeah. It's also interesting because all the figures look like uh, alabaster statue or marble statues mm -hmm. they don't except for uh john who looks somewhat pinkish and the cherubs do a little bit but the body well like and that one guy is real dark <laughs> some of the bodies look <laughs> real white 
Sure. Just talk myself out of an argument. It's fine. Yeah. Um, so um, this was one of the last pieces he did. Um, it was actually unfinished when he died, um, which he died. Gosh, I don't even have it written down. But he was in his 70s, I think 73. Uh, did he even finish the top part then? Maybe it was just a myth. The top part never existed. No. Well, I mean, the whole painting was unfinished, but there was a top part to it. That you think there was. They cut something off. Okay. Well, it was just blank canvas. Okay. Anyway. um, So El Greco, after his death, um, he kind of didn't leave a lot of, like, a legacy. Um, His his art he kind of went into obscurity after he died um his legacy sort of died with him um and really if it hadn't been for um the expressionists and the cubist artists kind of rediscovering him um i'm not sure that we would even know about Hmm. el greco um but um, the, the theory goes that Picasso used to go and look at this piece and that it was part of the inspiration for Mademoiselle de Avion, hmm. um, which you can kind of see some of yeah. the, the figural similarities. Well, and you can see some of that kind of cubism kind of mm-hmm. feel just mm-hmm. in the fabrics and stuff starting to play with like those lines and yeah a little bit of the obscurity in the background too is really interesting well and it's interesting too um another another um artist we haven't actually talked about is but was a contemporary of picasso's was Cezanne. Yeah. um and if you want to google him real quick you can see kind of the similarities how do you spell c-e-z-a-n-n i started off way wrong so you can see, like, in especially in, like, some of his still lifes with his drapery and um, just kind of the the style, you can you can see some similarities. Yeah, sure. Um, he, kind of that sort of outlining type of a look to the figures. And the drastic the pieces. difference between the light and, and, mm-hmm. and uh, shadows of the figures and the fabrics especially. Yeah. So, um... Yeah, that's what that's what I have on the man known as El Greco. So most, I would say, the famous artists we think about and talk about are because they were prominent and then they went on for a long time. Mm-hmm. Is this? I guess this is probably one of the first ones who we was in relative obscurity until he was rediscovered by art itself. Yeah. So now is he famous because, or is he known because other people reference him? Hmm. Or did he gain popularity after he was rediscovered? I mean, I think he also gained popularity, um, but he certainly is listed as an inspiration for lots of artists. I mean, even Jackson Pollock cited El Greco as an influence, so... Hmm. It's really interesting because, like, you you look at like a Jackson Pollock, and you look at a, which for our friends who don't know, offhand, 
uh, Jackson Pollock, you'll, you'll, we'll talk about him sometime, I'm sure, but, sure. um, his paintings look like kind of splattery, splattered paint. Yeah. Very modern art. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like for me as a Rube would not look at, um, El Greco and Pollock together and say, oh, I see the similarities here. Sure. But it is interesting. I mean, I guess it's kind of like music where you may be influenced by the way someone plays or, you know, how they use chords together. So similarly, uh, artists are influenced by how someone may use colors together or shadows and light and all these different things. So yeah. it's really interesting. Yeah. And it's it's cool to know that someone who lived in almost obscurity was brought back by other people appreciating his work so much yeah it's kind of like not to go back to music but i like music so um how many artists i've discovered because of an artist i like references them and talks Mm -hmm. about them it's kind of similar thing it's interesting yep Yep. all right yeah well i guess that's all we got for today that's all i got well i appreciate you and i appreciate you listeners out there yeah out there in dreamland if you're listening to us to fall asleep to, maybe you never know sarah i don't want people to i want people to learn oh right sorry don't fall asleep to this definitely don't thank you to my girl my whiskey and me for intro and outro music yep thanks to them we appreciate uh them letting us use their music for the last ever all of them yeah it's yeah it just is uh but yeah check them out they're great you can find them on Instagram, sort of. <laughs> you can find them on the places yeah. where you find things. You can go to their website, buy their music, yes. or just like find their music anywhere and stream it. It's great. But you should definitely buy it as well. Um, and thanks to Sarah for all the research she does. Thanks to all of our listeners out there. Yeah. Share it with somebody who you think may like to listen to us babble on about <laughs> art. Um I don't care if you rate and review. It's fine. It's whatever. But if you feel the need, you can. Anyhow, we should go. We have another. We have another episode to record. (sighs) Just a little guy. Just a mini. All right. We'll see you guys next time. Thanks, my girl, my whiskey, and me. Thanks, friends. See you next time. Oh. And don't forget. It's just art. Apparently.